0: Aaron, how you doing, man? Good, good. I I feel like we're so busy that this is like the best way for us to catch up is just like put a time on the calendar and record
1: it. <laughs> yeah, you look great though. You've been, uh, you, I know you ran your race. How, you look like you're in great, great shape. You've been running since the race.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I have been running I'm in the gym in the morning three days a week and uh, getting back in uh, fighting shape for next season of uh triathlons. Very nice. So, yeah, but thank you.
1: Well, you know, wanted to get kicked off here, you know, we are growing brands at exponential pace you and I. Uh very exciting because we started at similar times and get to trade notes and always do. We use similar suppliers and methodologies and what I love about our relationship is we agree on a lot and we don't always agree on every theory, which is the point of a good uh, strategic friendship or partnership, if you will. And, um, you know, just wanted to kind of share some of our lessons learned. I know I have a few that I've got from the past few months. Um, but I want to put it to you first, Aaron. Um, if someone asked you, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from the time you opened, uh, you know, started warning territory to now, what's the biggest thing you learned so far?
0: Um, so when I first launched, someone advised me to raise the least amount of capital needed, but then go a little bit higher than that. Because you can always, as you know, with business, you can always raise more money. Um, I took that advice because I had never sold a, a brand with no units before, right? So I raised more capital than I needed. Um My expectation for the year was that we would do 32 units, uh, 12 franchisees. And that was my expectation based on limited knowledge of selling a brand new brand. Every unit, every brand I've been involved in prior to this had at least 100 units. And um, so, as you know, um, we're now at 75 units, 25 franchisees. um, And we've done that since the end of February. So the minute that I saw that kind of trajectory and that I like started just hiring people that I knew that I would need if we ended up where we are now. And so the lesson I think that I didn't know that I like back then is like just hire before you need before you think and, and that things will and just be prepared for things to not be exactly how you think they're going to be with business um, for good or for bad. Now for us, it's been phenomenal. Franchisees are out, they're crushing it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so now we've got a team, it's me and, and 13 people, uh, which is a pretty big team for the amount of operating franchisees we have. But yeah, what about you?
1: Yeah. I mean, same thing. I mean, to me, you know, building the team ahead of time is tremendously less stressful from a, day-to-day standpoint. It's only stressful from a financial standpoint as it stresses your financials, but it's always going to pay off in the long term. So hiring ahead is something I definitely agree on. Um, You know, you have to have the confidence in where you're going. You have to know where you're going to go and hire ahead because chances are only you and maybe a few people on your team see where you're going to be and what you need. And then you have to have the confidence, um, you know, to, to make those hires ahead. And know that you're going to hit your, your numbers and need them. Um, you know, for, for me, the biggest lesson that I learned was that no matter how much you mention this, I think that, you know, we talk about enfranchising people's misconceptions around owning a business. The biggest one I've learned is no matter what it is, whether it's a gym, a school, a home service brand, especially a home service brand, no matter what the brand does on Facebook and Google and marketing and everything else, you need local selling. Nothing will replace local selling. And I always argue that if a franchise brand didn't need a local salesperson, then why would they franchise? What do they need? They need something. For us, no matter what we do on the lead generation fronts, what we need is somebody that could do two things. One, nobody wants to work for Voda Corporation in Ivory Tower in Wisconsin, in New York, or wherever we are. They want to work for their local owner in their market that they can shake hands and have a coffee with. That's number one. Number two is nobody wants to give business to, in our case, property managers and plumbers want to give business to that local owner they can shake. And they don't care about, you know, Voda, corporate. We can't open up locations and just get property managers. We need the local person. And so my biggest lesson that I've learned is, I think a lot of franchise owners think that they're going to get out there and they're going to sell, um, but they don't realize that it's very easy for three, four, five days to go by where you were not prospecting. And so my biggest lesson was, similar to what you said on the corporate side is very much encouraging franchise owners from day one to start thinking about who you're going to hire as your salesperson alongside your, your GM.
0: Yeah. We, uh, that's the same. Cause as you know, with rolling suds, we're heavy on the commercial side. Like the majority of our franchise owners business has been commercial and it's all relationship selling. it's the same exact thing. Like the guy who manages a, multiple parking garages wants to look at someone who looks nice has a wrapped vehicle and wants to you know hire that person and um and so what we've done is we've built in like pretty robust trainings around the specific types of people that a franchise owner would sell to whether it's a referral partner or a commercial customer we've built trainings and lessons around how to get in front of those people that you could plug a salesperson into as well or a general manager or whomever. Um, the other thing I, I've also uh, realized is that the demand for power washings, like just in general, there's a pretty big gap in the industry. So franchisees are, are ordering you know truck number two sooner, sooner than I thought. So what we've done is we've increased the capital requirements for franchise owners from when we first started. So that they can have truck number two ready to go. Um, I don't think, though, that if I knew knew that at the beginning, it's it's a pretty considerable difference in capital requirements. So it was a big decision for us. Um, But we've been fortunate to attract like the C suite, you know, empire builder types who want to grow really massive businesses. So so we've been really fortunate. And I know, you know, we're always we're often talking to the same candidates and stuff and whenever I lose one to you guys, I'm like excited for them, you know, it's like one of the only brands that I'm like excited that they went to Voda instead of rolling suds.
1: <laughs> yeah. I always think it's funny. I, I think I once said to you that we have a couple options with candidates. We either joke around and high five and whoever wins <laughs> or loses or just never talk about it. Like just like never, I just don't talk about that part, <laughs> but you know, I feel the same way if they're going to buy something else, I'd love them to buy a friend, a friend's, a friend's business. But um, what I was going to say was, um, So with that change, so you shifted your capital requirements, um, in, in order to attract a certain buyer who wants to get to a second, a second truck. Um, have you, have you found, what is your thoughts on that whole local selling? Like, are you, um, are you finding, I know you have a commercial component to your business. Um, you're continuing to make playbooks around how to get out there, but are you guys also looking to bring in salespeople? For franchisees to bring in salespeople, or what are you seeing your owners doing?
0: So, what we've realized is each different owner has different skill sets, and it doesn't make sense to fit. Even though our job is to create a model that anyone can plug into, I think a franchisor, at least from my perspective's job, should also be to create specific systems for the type of buyer. So, like, we have some buyers who are like multi unit crumble franchisees who have seven locations and are super like operationally sound who wouldn't necessarily be great like talking to a homeowner and selling them a $1300 power washing job and that's okay so what we're doing is basically if i meet someone like that in the franchise development process is just tell them like hey we're going to probably want to build the cost of a salesperson into your working capital As you plan for this. Now, on the other side of things, you've got people who are like excellent at that. And maybe they need to get out of any kind of operational role and hire some type of manager or, you know, train a lead technician up to be general manager quicker. And so what we've done is just basically create trainings for the specific things that the franchise owner needs. But no matter what, Someone has to be out there all day long selling. And, and if that doesn't exist, they're going to struggle.
1: Yeah, to me, there's prospecting and then there's selling, right? So the prospecting is a job in itself, and that's what you're looking to hire. Or some owners are great, are great at it. Um, it's funny, though, because you think you could sell the best as an owner. No one could sell. You can't, as an owner, sell as good. I always think about today, I was talking to a candidate, and I nicely said to him, hey, I'm sorry that my phone keeps ringing. Um, And you know what? He doesn't care. He doesn't care that I'm the CEO. He doesn't care. His franchise development person or his person he's talking to had a phone that kept ringing. And the person whose only job is to do that, that can make a difference when all they're thinking about is that one thing, compartmentalized. And so I think there's a value, same thing for a franchise owner. They've got so much going on in their head and things going on. It's better for somebody to focus on prospecting and selling. And then, you know, obviously the franchise owner can can bring in can bring in relationships. Um Now you changed that. I guess you had to go through a whole like uh FDD change or did you just like, or, you know, how did you? Um, no,
0: because our FDD is set up for one territory and we don't do one territory deals anyways. So the FDD has to be written for one territory, what item seven would say. So I'm already above what our item seven says. I asked if we, should put that it's a two territory minimum in there and legal was like, well, will you allow a franchisee to buy one extra territory and expand? I was like, yeah, well, then they're like, then it has to be written that way. So we just set the expectation that these are our liquidity requirements. Um, The other thing that I I realized, another lesson I learned, and you'll appreciate this, actually, because you're lead gen, you know, master. so we have a really good customer acquisition strategy internally like we turn leads on a month before training they're out getting leads you know what i mean like they're out selling jobs and the first group that came in like i told them exactly what we do right and i was like this is what we do and what ended up happening is um that kind of became like the almost like the ethos of like corporate generates me the leads And I sell the jobs, which is like, that's great. But what I've, what I've realized is like, if you're just dependent upon lead generation sources, it's very hard to be a business owner because you're dependent upon what the lead generation sources are going to do for you, right? And so the ROI on your time, like if you can go out and you can spend six hours prospecting on a Tuesday, and that generates $100,000 in recurring revenue. I'm just using random numbers annually, let's just say. You're now an owner of that experience, and you can pull a lever on your business that makes it more profitable. Whereas if you're just waiting for leads to come in, you don't have that same effect. So I thought it was like, hey, we're going to do all this stuff. But it also, what I realized is it makes franchisees feel like an inherent lack of control on their business if they're the ones getting all of the leads produced for them. So I'm pushing back on the network now. And we have this whole new like we're re- we're requiring truck number 2 to be added within the first 6 months like we're going like hard on it. And so we're quantifying what a referral partner, what a commercial customer could be valued at so we could say go out and and, and develop these relationships because to your point about local selling like if you're not out there or someone in your business is not out there every day, focusing on driving revenue to the business, the cost of goods sold doesn't matter. The P&L doesn't matter. Like none of the other stuff matters without revenue.
1: I, I couldn't agree with the more. I had this, this aha moment years ago, which was that the only reason businesses franchise are for a few, either extensive needs for capital, right? Like big brick and mortar build outs. And like, there's no way I could possibly afford to build out hundred of these locations. That's one reason to franchise. Then you got businesses like my first franchise, Murphy business and financial, which gave you the systems, but they needed the actual human being to do the work and quite frankly, to hit the pavement. And then you've got home services, which I think a lot of home service brands make it sound like And no offense to this, but that you just do nothing. That isn't just, again, you wouldn't franchise. I would just open up corporate stores. I wouldn't need a local owner. It's not an ATM machine. There's a reason that we need franchisees. And so one of the things I'll tell you, I learned Aaron, that is you not know, frustrating, but it is what it is, is um, I thought I knew all the franchise development stuff out there. Now that I'm on this side, I'm unfortunately experiencing learning some of the other things. I'll give you a great example. Um, and I'll never send, say anything, you know, about anyone, but, I mean, there's different ways to to do business. But, you know, I was just having this conversation with someone. I said, you know, I sit on panels on how to sell franchises, how to award franchises, how to grow franchises. I've been behind a lot of franchise sales. When we launched our brand, I knew I would have no issue finding franchisees. It is not something I struggle with, nor the company, of course, nor do you, of course. Uh, And we made a decision to make our territories a certain size that I feel are a great size. Not because we needed to. As I just mentioned, we would have no problem Awarding territory, but we made them a certain size. And something you posted recently, what I really liked was you can't start with one size and then shrink them. It screws up the item 19 data. And so, and that was never our goal. Our goal is is the territory. This is what we're doing. This is what we feel is the right amount of territory. And what's interesting is, you know, I say to people, look, I'd rather see you put that extra, don't, if you're not going to give me that extra franchise fee to do an even bigger territory, then I want you to pretend you did. And I want you to take that money and go put it toward building your business. But what I think is interesting is sometimes people get deceived by these ideas like, hey, buy two of these and you get a third for free, for example. And what I think is interesting is when you actually compare territory apples to apples, it's actually the same, if not less. And so I just, I always found that very interesting. And it's a unfortunate thing that um, it, it's so complicated and things are moving so quickly, but people sometimes kind of. I don't want to say fall because it's a business. I understand creating urgency and giving a deal, not putting it down. There's nothing wrong with that. I just sometimes wish there was a way to communicate some of the things that are, you know, the right, done the right way a little bit more, um, which is just a lesson I have to just uh, deal with. You know, I can't, I can't change it, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this, but like it's, I have found that due to my authenticity, in the process and being like brutally honest with candidates on call number one and turning away more candidates than we're bringing in, like considerably more candidates than we're bringing in, has actually allowed people to trust me more that even if they don't, even if Rolling Suds isn't right or I don't approve them for Rolling Suds, like listen, don't just think twice when you go and a brand tells you that you need to buy nine territories and you can you don't have to work. Like that's not how business works. And, you know, you're gonna make a two to three hundred thousand dollar investment. And the only thing that's more valuable than your money is your time. And, you know, so I've said that to candidates and just said, listen, do do what you want to do, but like here's some some advice. Like, you're not right for our system just based on your certain circumstances. But be careful because buying a business is a big deal. And, um, and I don't think a lot of people do that. And I, it's, but it's, it's ended up working out for me because I've developed really trusting relationships with a lot of candidates by just being brutally honest with exactly what they can expect.
1: Yeah, you know, just to be clear, like, I sometimes think to myself, you know, business is about building a great mousetrap and marketing funnel. And I don't put down those brands that do what they do. I just sometimes think to myself, I shouldn't have started with the good deal. I should have made it look different and then explain, Oh, you know what? We're going to give you a bigger territory. It's like, it, it, that's the thing. It's like, sometimes we don't have people come to us. They fall out of the process and you say to yourself, why? Cause you know, there's some reason. And sometimes you find out later on that it's about territory and you're like, wait a minute, they actually really did just misunderstand. I'll give you another example. I had a guy who was pretty close to buying a Voda and he was looking at a resale and uh, a franchise resale. And I was on the phone and he told me about the deal. I said, dude, I got to tell you, you know, you're not, I don't want to say this. It hurts to say it, but if that's the deal, take that deal. That's a freaking home run. And, you know, maybe come back to but I knew that it was just too good of a deal for him to pass up. And uh, I said, though, at the end of the call, Hey, just make sure you do a lean search, right. To make sure that the, cause he was in this particular case, he was buying an LLC, which, When you buy someone's LLC, you actually buy their liabilities. You buy even if they owe taxes. It's not a, you know, it's an actual purchase of the LLC. So he ended up doing the lien search. That person owed several hundred thousands of dollars in in liens. Um, Not that you would inherit all of it, but you would would be a pretty thing, a tough thing to, to handle. And so it's funny because I felt like I just, I did the right thing. It was hard. I told him that. Two weeks later, I was patient. Two weeks later, that thing fell through. He's back in our process. Um, and it was just kind of like explaining things the, the right way. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I just sometimes think about making a video that's like, here's all the things that you're going to get misconstrued in our process. So here it is up front. you know, well, here's the things that are going to get used, like to sell against what we do. And by the way, listen, that's business. That's okay. Right. When our franchisees go into the market, they're going to have to sell and fight against competitors. I'll give you a great example. You talk about transparency. You know, we came into carpet cleaning and floor cleaning and we're going to have the, We're going to be the good guys. Everybody quotes these big price, uh, these fake prices. to get in the home and they upsell. We're going to do it all. And we learned that we actually, as a game we can't play. We can't try to say, hey, your house is going to cost $600 and the competitor is $100. Even though the truth is when they get there, they're going to upsell. We were losing too many jobs. That's a lesson learned. Um, and sometimes you got to play the game. But I just... Um, I just sometimes find when it comes to territory, uh, I almost wish there was like, no, I obviously there's industry changes that make territories different, but I almost wish territories was a standardized thing that like all of us had to have the same size territory and just take that off the table of of negotiating.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, I've, we've talked about this. I have the, I had the whole country mapped out beforehand and it's, we don't do right of first refusals or hold territories or anything like that. So but that's these are the areas. That's the other thing. Like when it
1: comes to territory, though, I I'll take back what I said. I didn't mean to call you off. With that said, my business can service a certain amount of the population. Your business is different. Someone else's business is different. So people are often comparing territory in an apples to orange comparison because in a certain business, you don't need as many households or people as another, right? The addressable market's different, and so I just I think that whole area is very confusing. If I was a franchise buyer, I'd get confused by it too.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you another lesson I learned. Um, so at the beginning of the 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 year, everyone was like, Aaron, you got all this like knowledge about franchising. You need to you need to put out content. You need to put out content. And I was like, Ah, uh, I don't want to do it. Like, I don't feel like it'll be authentic. And, um, and then I continued to like, you know, get more involved in the community and everything like that. And um, everyone was like, no, you really need to put out content. And so we started, I started doing it more like just like I'd type things out on LinkedIn and getting some traction. And then people would find me as either an employee wanting to join Rolling Suds or a potential buyer. Wanting to join Rolling Suts, and then um, I realized actually the 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 highest one of the highest leverage things I can do is create content, because if I can communicate the message of Rolling Suts or responsible franchising or like what we're doing and, and like just at scale by like getting in front of lots of people at one time. It'll have essentially a flywheel effect. So we hired someone. I think I told you about this. Like, uh, he started full time in November, and he's actually one of my best buddies from like childhood. And he built a brand from a thousand followers to nine hundred thousand followers organically in like eight years. And um, and so he's our full time in house content strategist now, and he flies out here um records we create we record for uh two days a month and then um he also will come with me to conferences and he'll go see franchisees and do he has already recorded a day in the life video he'll be at training recording videos uh, that we can implement into our training to make our you know power launch program our ramp up better but like I didn't really understand the power of content if I did, I probably would have budgeted it in at the beginning, from the beginning of the year.
1: I mean, you're having a relationship with people at scale. That's what I call You have a relationship with them. They have a relationship with you at scale.
0: Yeah, and I've been on so many podcasts that I will talk to a candidate and it's the first intro call and they're like, I already know you better than you know me. I've watched every single thing you've been on online. And what it allows us to do is have such a more meaningful conversation on the first intro call. Like, they already know who I am, what I'm about, what we're doing here, why we're doing it, what the goal is 10 years from now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like, it, and and, and that, that I believe is invaluable and hard to put a price tag on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think making content is amazing. You're killing it at that. Congrats. The only thing Thanks. I'll tell you about the content thing and maybe this is a good topic around lessons learned. Is um, you know, listen. I, in no way I'm comparing us to like a Hermosy. I'm using him as an example.
0: Yeah. But I yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, I get it. I
1: actually have this conversation. Like, it's like a fun theory, like question I have, which is like, let's use Justin Bieber as an example. Okay, Justin Bieber is like insanely famous, or use whatever Taylor Swift, whatever pop star, Drake, whatever, Tom Brady, whatever. They're so famous. So obviously they got a lot of random people that have met them reaching out. There's a filter for that. But they're also so famous that like Tom, everyone who's famous likes Tom Brady and hits him up a lot. You know what I mean? So like, it's a lot of people, texts and calls and emails. And so I always wonder like, what's like the, the policy there, how you deal with that. Because on the very, 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 very micro level of my life, I'm at this point, where I was just having this conversation, I can't. There's, I have to choose what I can do. I can't. Yeah. Um, and when I say I can't answer some of these emails, they're from people I know, friends, calls, tech. I just can't. There's only so many hours in the day. I'm not. There's gonna be a joke like, "Oh, Mr. Poppy," I don't mean it that way. But I'm curious how you deal with that because a lot of people, every time you put content out there, vying for your energy or your uh, attention. You got kids. You got a wife. You got your business. How do you? Uh, how do you deal with that? How do I manage it?
0: Yeah. So ever since I started doing it more like putting out, you know, a video a day, I find that I have a lot of reach outs from emerging franchisors particularly and um the advice, what do you think, this and that and like I uh, will sometimes respectfully uh, like I, I cuz I can't have a call with an emerging franchisor each week like it's just not realistic and I I I, at the beginning, I like tried to talk to some of them because I really do like to help emerging franchisors. And then I was like, wait a minute. Like, I can't, I can't do that. So I'll send them a pot. Like, I'll, if they message me on LinkedIn or they send me a message, like I'll message them a podcast that I was on where I discussed like what you should do as an emerging franchisor and say, hey, listen to this. Would love to, would love to meet you at IFA. I'll be at IFA. Um, or, you know, here's, are, here are some conferences I'll be at um and and that's only going to get more um real as we continue to to grow our company um and so I, i'm looking at hiring like an, an executive assistant slash like you know someone who helps with just the things that i need to do as the ceo of the organization and um so you have to put, you have to put the barriers in eventually. And I'm Hormozy and Brady. I mean, these all, all these people have like multiple layers of barriers. Um, but yeah.
1: I, uh, I used to stress over it and then I just stopped responding. And I just wish there was a way to put out a public announcement, which I have tried and it's had given me backlash, which is, Hey, if I don't answer, it's not you, it's me. It's nothing to do with you. And it's not that I think I'm more important or anything like that. I just, physically can't. Um, I'm on Zoom all day long. And, and like, you know, I was joking around with you when we started the podcast, like that. I just want to be able to sit in a room and do my one thing I'm doing. And like, I'm more of an operations person than you think. And I may even be more of an introvert than you think. I like to be in one thing at a time, but I'm never allowed to be. Um, you know, I was just having that conversation around, and I know you struggle with this too. I know that I do a great job with dev, and it's a great use of my time. But every day that I'm on a friend dev call and my brain is on that, it's off the business and the future operational vision that I think it could be used for. That's my real skill. Um, And so it's interesting because what is the opportunity? The opportunity cost is you don't see it. You're not seeing what the opportunity cost is because you're doing something maybe that you shouldn't be doing. Uh, It's funny. My coach recently, she said, Dan, you're doing everything a year ago you set out to do with your business except one thing which is the fact that I'm so in the weeds of one thing, which I wasn't supposed to be. Um, and, you know, we're at 40 units, 20 franchise owners were growing rapidly. Um, but, you know, you could make the argument, is that, is that me? I don't think so. I think that is our system. But uh, it's, it's just so interesting. And, and I think I'll answer my own question, which is you just can't, you just can't answer everything anymore. And you know, what does David Barr do? I'm sure he doesn't answer everything either.
0: Yeah, I mean, he just prioritizes the things that he needs to do the most that provide the most leverage on what he wants to accomplish. For me, I'm the same with FranDev. I'm doing, I'm doing everything uh, for franchise development. In the next three to six months, I'll transition out of this role. Um, we're going to allocate capital and build a sales team division, uh, but we'll be at 100 units by February. You know, so at that point, it's like, all right, i I do think there's a certain amount of value in being one of the first franchisees and being able to talk to the CEO start to finish, and five years from now, being able to say to the hundred fiftieth, 200th franchisee that you know that was I think that's a, a special element. I think when you step away from that though, I think it is what's what's the timing on that um
1: yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example. I met with a franchise owner in New Jersey. I love him. He's a great guy. We met before he bought. Now he's about to sign a teammate and ask if I can meet. And the answer is yes. Like I, I can meet before he vibe and not after. Of course I can. I'm going to go meet his GM. And he said, you know, I think it's a joke because I want to bring in the big dog to help, you know, get him across the line. And um, so like that all of a sudden, I, I want to do that. That's going to move the needle for my business as much as Dev is, and is. So, it goes back to that point around where are you best suited in the organization? Um, and, and, and putting yourself, even like, I'll give you an example. I came into this business with franchise playbook with a vision to grow a platform of brands. I've been that clear as that from day one. And I mean this in the least arrogant way, we launched Voda. And the only thing I hear from people is, Ooh, Voda, you're going to have another brand vote is like, I'm like, yeah, Voda's is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, this has always been the vision. And I get it because Voters is doing so well, but there's a large vision. And granted, we're not doing that anytime soon, but that platform has always been the plan. And I always have to remind myself to not start to think this is all you, no, you know, you could think even bigger, right? Um, I just had a candidate. He was, you know, he was telling me about his, his family member thinking, you know, kind of talking him out of doing a business. And I was like, dude, I could be a billionaire. My family's still going to tell me not to do the next business that I'm going to potentially fail. Um, but you have to teach yourself to think bigger. And so I think for us, it's easy to be like, oh, I'm the best person out there. There's someone, the best part is, well, I don't know about you, but there's someone better out there for friend Dev in the industry. <laughs> you know, and better than me. And, and I would argue Steve's better than me. And I'm taking up the plaque of what, what's left over. Um, and it's funny, I know he's better than me because I'll be at a dinner and and he could talk about all these like wide areas, right. Of business. And the only reason that I'm able to do, I'm just going to be straight up because I'm the CEO and I know the business so well, and I could talk about the business. I do well, but if I was in a different role as a friend of representative, I don't have enough, like I'm, I'm too stupid in the other areas. I only know one thing, you know, like uh, uh where steve can like it's amazing man he could have a conversation about sports college the army everything like anything you could think of and uh so i know there's someone out there if you're listening we're, we're hiring, <laughs> we're hiring. <laughs> take my seat it's funny there's a there's a candidate sorry there's a candidate that uh there's one brand in particular that i think we go i specifically seem to go head to head with a lot it's not rolling suns and uh so I was joking around. I keep looking at, hopefully he's listening. I keep looking at his, his LinkedIn profile because I'm like, man, this guy puts up a great, you know, great fight in the, in the, in the frame dev process. Um, but there's one candidate that we're, we're so head to head on. And uh, I, listen, I want to be clear. Obviously the candidate to buy the best business for them, right? This candidate, in my opinion, would do great at any business he buys. And I really want him in our system, but uh, we're head to head. And um, I keep joking around that I have to win because when I see him at a conference, I can't be—I can't say, "Hey, you want to come work for me?" Then I lost. I gotta—I gotta be the guy that won, so you're sexy enough to come work with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. Um, the other thing, going back to the the content piece, just to your question about like creating the content means that people start reaching out to you, wanting more help with the thing, is also validation that you could you should create. You should continue creating the content because it just goes to show that the more content you create, the more people are helped by it. And so, like for me, like when I started seeing a a, an emerging franchisor reach out to me weekly asking for my help, I was like, okay, I need to I need to create more content answering the most commonly asked questions of someone who needs that thing because that's the only way I'm actually going to be able to help the people because I can't take four calls a week of merging franchisors. But yeah, and I mean, there's there's a ton of other things about it too, right? We just talked about employees. Employees see and they're like, I want to be part of this. And customers of franchisees are like, I've heard of Rolling Suds. We're all over the like Twitter space, Rolling Suds is. Um, so yeah. It's it's uh, just kind of switching back to that thing
1: though. So what do you do? You make content, and then you have someone on your team post the content, and then you have someone on your team respond to the content. Or right now, you're responding to the content. To, mm-hmm. The people that watch. The yeah, content. I mean, it,
0: so I do a lot of it. Like, I I write like that post I wrote y- yesterday that got like all these things about turning someone away. Like, that's me. Something happens. I talk about it, <laughs> which that's like really hard to replicate, right? But the video stuff we'll plan in advance, so I'll write out what the things are that we're gonna we're gonna talk about that I find interesting, and then we'll plan it. And so the video stuff then is pre-recorded and and posted by the by the team. So a lot of it's me, and then some of it's scheduled. But yeah.
1: I like it man. I'm crazy think, how small our industry is. It is small. And that's what I was saying though, like I don't I like to think outside the industry too, because it's you know, it's a big world out there. But you know, I love the content you're making and I, I, I think what's what's funny about what we're doing is um I thought it was interesting. I was talking to a guy, again, this, this is just talking, right? We were recording our conversation. I was talking to a guy the other day, he's like, Oh, you know, I really like Voda, the other brand, they sold three hundred units and Blah, 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 blah. And so I, I really want to go with you guys, but you're the least, ex- less experienced brand. And I was like, wait, what? What do you mean, less experienced? Why? Because we didn't sell 300 <laughs> units. Like, people don't realize that when you franchise your business, it doesn't mean you know how to be a franchisor. And I was, I was laughing about something, which is, you know, there's, there's other brands you we were looking at and, you know, they're more established. Like, they're more established than us. And they also award lots of territory and they're more established in, in the conventional sense. And um, they were, you know, the candidate was you know, kind of saying, like, why aren't you guys giving me a deal? They're doing a deal. They're going to let you buy X to get Z. And I was like, well, if we're more established, they're more established. Why do they need to do the deal? I don't need to do deals. And it's, I already did the deal. That's the thing. I made the deal in the offering we made. Like, if you're listening to your candidate, we made, <laughs> we made the offering, like, say, with the franchise agreement, we had four or five franchisee attorneys, like people who review FTDs. And we said, take this, tell us what you would change. And we changed the majority of what they suggested. So when you get our franchise agreement, it was negotiated. You just didn't get, you didn't get to be a part of the negotiation. But this is the negotiated version. This is the best territory you can get. This is the, the best franchise fee for the service that we're providing, right? We did all that. Um, and if anyone knows me, when I negotiate, I go right to the number. I don't want to waste time. I'm very impatient. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting. Like, I think if anyone's given a deal with anything and they're really pushing, run away from that. Um, yeah, I
0: was just going to tell you, I would have told that person respectfully, this isn't the opportunity for you.
1: And they're going to go buy another thing, to be honest with you. And then that, and now you have to just, uh, you will know, deal with that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would literally like, like, we, this happened, this happened the other day. There was an amazing candidate, amazing. Like, he was like, Aaron, I'm so excited. This is going to be awesome. Like, I want to get into the March training. Like, where do I sign? We went through the process, a couple steps. Like, he talked to franchisees. He called me. He's like, I love it. I, if it's all right with you, I'd like to bring in a partner. And I was like, Okay, yeah, that's fine. Uh, we, we're going to have to start the process over again. Totally fine. I just want to get to know the partner. So we started the process over again intro call, FDD review, intro call. Super tense, very like you know, uh, kind of aggressive New York, like why is it this way? Why is it that way? I was like, okay, well, maybe like they balance each other out, maybe that's why they'll be a good partnership. then FDD reviews the next step for us. We review the FDD and we do these as group calls now. I think I told you that, and um, he's like picking apart the whole thing and uh, and so I texted the consultant afterwards. And I'm like, hey, I don't think that... I don't think this this candidate is going to work out. I know you and I are both stoked about this candidate, um, but I don't think it's going to work out. And he goes, oh, what's going on? I was like, yeah, the partner is just like... He's not meant to buy a franchise, or at least he's not meant to buy my franchise. And um, I was like, let me sleep on it. And I'll let you know in the morning. Woke up, slept on it. First thing I thought about was this person is not the right cultural fit for our system. And so I called the other candidate who I was really excited about, let him know that I'd love for him to join the team. But here's why if he's partnered with that person that he will not be able to. And um, and I did that because I need to protect our brand. And it's going to cost me way more money and the intangible cost too of what like that's going to do culturally to the rest of the franchisees um, by bringing that person in. and he ended up thinking about it and deciding he's not going to move forward um, without his partner, which totally fine. But like these are things that I feel like I know exactly who's going to be my, successful in my system and who's not. And I'm willing to turn away the person who's not the minute that I don't feel they're right.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, something we found in our discovery days is sometimes I might like a candidate and my team doesn't or vice versa. And um, so what we came up with, and this is actually in the leadership team, something that we're now doing, uh, it's somewhat of a board, right? Because the team, uh, we started to put some uh, weight, but some some voting behind the leadership team because everyone's got to deal with the candidate, deal, not deal with, but like work with the franchise owner and deal with them if right. they're not a good fit. And uh, so after a, each uh, discovery day, we we vote as a team. It's a v- blind vote. And we, we talk about who needs, you know who we don't feel like should move forward. But something I like that we've come up with is when we decide someone's not a fit. um, I mean, listen, if it's a blatant, not a fit, that's a different story. But if we feel like they're not a fit, but someone on the team does, right? What we do is we we give the candidate, I mean, they don't know this. And I guess if they listen to this, they may know, but um, uh, some tests and they don't know. So we don't send an approval letter. We say, Hey, you know, we need you to do this, this and this, and we never do another thing. Like, do these things? And I look for, do they do them? Right. And did they, were they able? Cause like, that's the biggest thing, right? It's like, if we don't feel confident, let's see, you know, whether I'll give you a great example. We had a candidate. He was kind of in and out of the process. I kind of got busy. Um, he I'm unbelievably impressed by him. He went out, he couldn't get approved for a loan, went out, got a job. So he could get a loan Stay, keep the job. Obviously get the loan, found a GM the guy with a carpet cleaning experience, brought him in, came discovered discovery day, wowed my team and went from like someone that I was, you know, I don't want to say on the fence about, but someone that was, I was kind of like, is this person executing? Only to find out that they absolutely were an incredible executor. They kind of just did it more behind the scenes. Um, yeah. So I'm big on, you know, what we'll, you'll see at us with our discovery is we're going to create more and more, you know, tests, if you will. Um, because I don't like making decisions on feeling. I like them on data. Um, and so we're working on stuff like that now, but here's the thing. If I was a candidate and you came to my discovery day and you were on the fence, I could let that go a little bit. But to be honest with you, if, you, if I went to your discovery day, you're on the fence about me. I don't want to work with you. Like, oh, you're on the right. fight, all right, then I'm not a fit. And it's funny because I try to explain that to candidates. It's the same thing. If, if we get all the way through our process and you still don't feel like it's a hell yes, that's not an insult. For me, it's actually more of an insult to say, I think it's a hell yes, but I'm not sure. And I got to go through more steps. Like for us, it's like at that point, either you're in or you're out. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's, I will say that that is one of the benefits of me. I think, and you doing this, but from kind of the beginning stages is it's like, you can cut out a lot of that, right? I'm, I've been doing this a pretty long time. So if it's on the first call, I can usually tell. I also spend a lot of time, you know, looking at like introspectively at who's going to be successful, who I think is going to be successful, and what are the attributes of the person who is going to be a successful franchisee in our system, and and so it is very like if they are not if they do not have these goals and these guidelines and these life life, uh, lifestyle you know then then they're not right, Um, and and being able to kind of like recognize that on the first call. And then not have them go down the process, whereas I think in other situations it 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 does take longer to to figure it out, and maybe that is right. But for me, right now being on the front lines, it's like, listen, I'm the one making the decision. My team trusts me. You know, we have a final kind of approval call, which would be our discovery day, is with the founders. You know, if they see something that's different, they'll let me know. But I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, you know, you know, there's there's you know, people are. Sometimes you're right about people and wrong about people. Um, you know, I, I think they say it's only one third of hires that CEOs make are right. One third. I think that's a stat. Wow. Or maybe it's two thirds. I, I gotta look it up. But uh it's it's some stat that's like no matter what, I don't care if you're the C- CEO of JP Morgan Chase, you will make bad hires no matter what. Um and so with franchising, um that's why I, you know, it's 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 you can only take so far, right? You don't really have a crystal ball to who's going to be good or bad, right? I'm sure you've had people impress you, Um, but you know that's that's kind of the the you know the challenge, right, of of this business. But I, I also think you know you do a great job, and I, I know we do too, of of telling them the reality of the business because we got to raise them. We got to they say raise the kids. Like maybe that sounds a little derogatory. I don't mean it that way, but like. We don't only have people buy our franchise. We're signing 10-year agreements. I mean, I sign every single franchise agreement. I always remind Me myself too, yeah. at the end of the day, outside of like, I mean, my leadership team is pretty invested and I'm uh, the partner, but like at the end of the day, as the, the major shareholder of the company in principle, I'm the one that's with them. <laughs> so I'm right. making the last, I don't care what anyone says. Like, and I, that was something I struggled with. We had conversations around that you know, I try really hard for it not to get all the way to post discovery day, but I'm not making a decision that's going to hurt for a week. That's going to hurt me for 10 years. um, Sure. A five minute uncomfortable conversation.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we got to catch up and talk about franchising. And I think we should do this once a month and Put it out and if people like listening to it then they can keep listening to it yeah <laughs> and otherwise you and i get, just get to catch out
1: <laughs> exactly